Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A blazing fire under the body of the nitro-powered Toyota Camry of Alexis DeJuria, and this is as bad a fire as you're ever On this seen. episode, it's the runners-up, J.R. Todd and Justin Ashley from Pomona, California. Eric Anders is your 2020 Pro Stock World Champion in stunning fashion. We're talking Western Swing and Winter Nationals in summer. Scotty's out on Andrew at 1,000 feet. It's Scotty Polacek for the first time in his career. This is the NHRA Insider. Tony Schumacher. Wow, what an appropriate way to end this one. 28 at the strike. An instant classic final round. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Loans. We are back after the Western Swing closed up last weekend in Pomona, California with, of course, the Winter Nationals run uh, officially on August 1st because that was the day we ran eliminations, but uh, began very late July, ended very early August, and it was a uh, a wild event. It was uh, certainly one that was not high on comfort level, whether you're in a driver's seat or in a grandstand seat. It was uh, nearing 100 degrees every single day. The racetrack varied from 141 at some points up to almost 150 in terms of track temperature. We qualified at night. We raced during the day, of course, on Sunday. So there was a lot of uh, a lot of craziness going on in pretty much every category. I mean, we looked down the we looked down the board. We looked down the line to see how elimination shook out. Pro stock car, of course. Aaron Stanfield beats Greg Anderson, who is still seeking 97 and is still coming up just a little short in these final rounds. Aaron Stanfield now three and zero this season against Greg Anderson, 2-0 and in final rounds, which is wild enough. In Pro Stock Motorcycle, it was Matt Smith getting the job done, becoming the first ever Pro Stock Motorcycle rider to win the Winter Nationals. Kind of a fun side note there is the fact that Pro Stock Motorcycle has never been contested at the Winter Nationals, nor had it ever been run over the course of three races of the Western Swing, but it was this year, and Matt Smith was able to win two out of the three events. So a lot of great stuff here for fans of the Pro Stock Motorcycle category, obviously Karen Stouffer, uh interrupted his ability to sweep by winning in Sonoma, California. We move into the Nitro classes, and it was in some ways the day we expected, in some ways the day we didn't. Of course, there was a lot of pedaling out there. There was a lot of work having to be done by drivers to just salvage anything out of their cars and get to the finish line first. I think perhaps um, the, you know the two most memorable runs, one Matt Hagen and John Forrest in the first round. Uh, John Forrest double-bulbing Hagen in the staging process and Hagen not taking too kindly to that. A lot of words exchanged after the run, both at the top end and then later on in the pit area when we went and caught up with Matt. He kind of explained his position, explained his thought process, and explained that he is no longer going to give John Forrest any courtesy or uh, anything else on the starting line. So that's going to be... A very interesting thing to watch when we get to Topeka, especially if those two guys have to race. Historically speaking, when something like this happens and words are exchanged, it's almost a guarantee that they're going to have to face off against each other at the next event. And that always adds to the entertainment level when you're not quite sure uh, what's going to happen. So Hagen and Forrest, um, not on the best of terms at the moment. And you know what? Uh, That's what professional racing is about. It's about that intensity. It's about that attack. Uh, It's about having the wherewithal, the will, and the want to win, and then being disappointed when you don't. I think it um, it's much more compelling. It's much more fun to watch when somebody who uh, is defeated is angry about being defeated and and doesn't just slough it off that they are going to carry this one with them and make sure it doesn't happen twice. Then we go to Top Fuel, and and we're going to talk to Justin Ashley today. And and obviously, Justin, uh, the centerpiece of a, a wild story in Top Fuel where he made the final round, but at the very last moment, quite literally the last moment before they fired the race car up he he was not in physical condition to drive the car and uh stepped out 
or was assisted out of the car and then needed medical attention for uh, heat-related issues, which allowed Leah Pruitt to run down on a solo and win her first Wally in some time and really punctuate what appears to be a drastic and much-needed turnaround of that Dodge SRT sparkling ice top fuel dragster because uh, we know their struggles. We've talked about their struggles. The the small things that got them, whether it was the leak from a valve cover in Denver, uh, whether it was airlines coming off earlier on in the season or uh, a throttle pedal that was refusing to return to idle. Some just bizarre things happened to that team. And this win uh, likely pushes all of those onto the back burner and they can really start looking ahead now. It was a strange race day for them. Uh, they had a single run. And then, of course, in the final round, uh, Leah did not have to appear next to anybody. Justin Ashley was looking very, very strong going into that final round. He was looking strong in terms of his reaction times over the course of eliminations, looking strong with a consistency that Mike Green had dialed into that car. It was by far the most consistent top fuel dragster, maybe the most consistent car on either side of the professional nitro categories, I should say, um, in eliminations. I mean, it was running like a bracket car, and Mike was adjusting fine-tuning like it was a violin to the track conditions and so coming into that final round when we were looking at the raw numbers and the kind of way the day had shaped up both Tony Pedregon and I looked at each other and thought this looks like Justin's race to lose you know it looked like his race to lose in terms of where we expected him to be on the tree where we expected the car to perform and um, it turns out uh, physical physical things which are, are such a rarity in our sport came to uh, to rear their head and uh, I mentioned this to Justin on Twitter but 50 years ago at the 1971 Summer Nationals the top fuel final was decided because one of the racers had to be taken to the hospital due to you guessed it heat stroke so not that it is without precedent just bizarre that that precedent is 50 years into the past it's a, a strange thing and it's a strange thing I wish I had known in the moment I discovered uh, and was informed about this after the fact, but uh, it would have been interesting to reference that moment when Justin was getting his assistance. But going to be talking to him, going to be talking to J.R. Todd, who's the runner-up in Nitro Funny Car, and J.R. Todd had a great day, a day that I want to talk about the value of this day to his team. He's talked about it a little bit here and there, that they needed kind of a, a, a kick in the backside in terms of performance to get themselves over the hump and to get themselves in the right direction does not seem like it could have come at a better time seems like a very very opportune moment for that dhl camry um, to get back up on its feet and and start swinging again because as we enter this stretch weekend off here and then it's topeka and brainerd minnesota so then followed by the u.s nationals which we know jr has uh has succeeded at indy multiple times and he wants to continue to do that as well so you have a very good-looking funny car team there. Not only that, you have an incredible-looking funny car championship points chase right now with seven or eight cars within like a, within like three rounds or uh, four rounds of each other. Unlike Top Fuel, which is just a complete and utter runaway in terms of the points chase with Steve Torrance, in Nitro Funny Car, Bob Tasca III finally relinquished his points lead to Matt Hagen now, who leads the points. So Hagen trying to go back-to-back on championships after winning the title in 2020. He's chasing it here in 21, and uh, incrementally was able to get himself around Bob Tasca III. If things don't go Matt's way, or even maybe if things don't go all the way to the end for Matt in Topeka in a couple weeks, he may be handing that lead off to somebody else. All it means is we're seeing a field of funny cars that are so incredibly evenly matched that as exciting as this regular season is, getting into the countdown will make it even doubly so because there will be people doing desperate things. There will be people 
mentally that maybe get a little thrown off. There will be people that make mistakes they would have normally made because everybody is running so close together. It, uh, it's going to be great, and I'm not trying to rush that countdown on us because we have plenty of racing in Topeka, Brainerd, Minnesota, and Auto, or rather Lucas Oil Raceway, Indianapolis, before we lock those top 10 positions. The top 10 fight for Pro Stock Motorcycle will come down to the U.S. Nationals because that's the next time we'll see those bikes. They don't run in Topeka, and they don't run in Brainerd. There are four or five racers vying for the number 10 spot, and so that is going to basically be a winner-take-all type of situation when we get to the U.S. Nationals because there's no other place that you can get yourself locked in. Going to be high tension as well. And in Pro Stock, uh, the points are, there's a spread there. Uh, Greg Anderson, you know, is uh, about a race and a half up on the rest of the field. He has locked his countdown position already. Aaron Stanfield has to be quite close, as do the rest of the regulars in terms of performance like Erica, Matt Hartford, and others. So there really isn't a whole lot of drama happening there outside of the top 10, but and Funny Car and Top Fuel, uh, just how evenly matched, most specifically Funny Car is, will make uh, make everybody pay very close attention to how these cars perform on what should be hot racetracks over the next couple of weeks. The Western Swing, in and unto itself, was a fantastic experience for NHRA fans and racers. We had just massive crowds in, in da- uh, Denver, rather, massive crowds in Sonoma. And yes, the crowd in Pomona, California, certainly not what uh, the world wanted. If you're a drag racing fan, you always want to see the stands full. But I also have a very difficult time faulting anybody for not wanting to sit in what was essentially a convection oven at uh, Auto Club Raceway Pomona. So it was a very hot weekend there. And really, we had warm weekends throughout the swing, but the the, the Pomona, Pomona weekend was certainly one that tested everybody's strength and metal. So there you have it. There's a quick recap of the Western Swing, a quick discussion on kind of where the points are at, who was looking good in Pomona, and who certainly needs to maybe step on it a little bit harder as we come into this final turn of the regular season. Let's now move on to our first conversation here in this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. We're going to talk to the top fuel finalist from Pomona who suffered a once-in-a-50-year situation, a very strange end to his race day. Justin Ashley, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on, Brian. I appreciate it. So we're uh, about three days removed from the uh, the kind of crazy drama of Sunday afternoon. So before we kind of go down that rabbit hole, my first question is, how you feeling? <laughs> I'm feeling much better, thank you. It was kind of a, uh, a crazy, a little bit of an unpredictable weekend, uh, you know, but thanks to the NHRA medical staff and you know, the overwhelming support from the whole drag racing community. Um, definitely heading in the right direction. I feel so much better right now. No, that's great. And again, uh, we'll kind of get there when we get there. But I want to back up the clock here and, and really talk about how this weekend set up and how race day went. Because all indications were, I mean, you guys had a good handle on your race car, qualified well. Uh, things were had really shaken their way out. And I guess going into this weekend, what were the conversations with the team, with Mike, in terms of an approach? Because it was the tale of two races, right? Evening qualifying and then this brutal Sunday race. So were there any was there any chat before you guys even got to the racetrack about how you're going to try to tackle this thing? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this was a tricky race uh, from the start, and we knew that going into it. We were prepared. We knew that we were going to do the very best that we could to qualify well, but it was tough to be able to really take anything from qualifying and apply that data to Sunday throughout the day just because the conditions were so different and it just became hotter throughout the day on Sunday and the person who was going to win the race or give themselves the best opportunity to win the race was going to be the team that was able to go A to B yeah, and go A to B consistently and on a consistent basis and we knew that 
we kind of had those conversations going into it, but we wanted to make sure that we didn't look too far ahead. We took one qualifying round at a time and then took one elimination round at a time. And, uh, you know, I think it boded really well for us. I mean, our team is really a brand new team. Uh, Mike really started this thing from scratch and built it up. And we knew that we were establishing, we were establishing a foundation for ourselves. And as soon as we turned the corner, it was going to be wide open and, I really feel like we started to really turn that corner this weekend. Yeah, I mean, when we look at the performance, especially when we, we when we talk about Sunday, uh, the, the the consistency of the car and and the I guess adaptability of the car to the conditions is what was really impressive to me. Um, we look at the car running like an eighty nine nine, then like a ninety with a seven. I mean, it, this was clearly the case of a crew chief who looked at the conditions, decided what he was going to be able to get from it, and really didn't make any wild swings over the course of his tuning day. Yeah, you said it, and I think that speaks to Mike's experience more so than anything else. It was a very difficult racetrack, and he obviously knew that. He didn't get caught up in who we were racing or who was in the other lane. He said, you know what, I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to run this particular lane. And that's exactly what he did, and obviously it worked out for us. I mean, it was super consistent. It was really like a bracket car out yeah. there. and uh, You know, you saw people shaking the tires, smoking the tires. Uh, we had a few wild ones and close calls out there, but... Uh, our car was able to go straight down the racetrack, which made my job uh, just that much easier and really just a testament to Mike and his his championship knowledge and championship experience. Yeah, it was great. And and we, we spent a lot of time, like, uh, you know, kind of breaking down runs on the TV show and everything else. And, and it did become evident, I think, really after first round, even the cars that advanced, it, it became evident kind of who – uh, who your kind of favorites were because there were plenty of cars that advanced due to a driver that did a great job pedaling or a driver that, that ended up winning on a whole shot. But then there was a small group of cars, yours being one of them, that just marched down the racetrack and didn't really seem to care about the fact that it was a billion degrees out there. So it was very impressive in that sense. From the driver's seat, we heard a lot about bumps. We heard a lot about, obviously, the, the greasy kind of condition of the surface. How much of that translates through the wheel of a top fuel car? Were you feeling bumps? And if so, where were they on the track? a little bit i mean i think that you know there's no doubt in other cars like i'm sure in a funny car you could probably feel it a little bit more uh those bumps and kind of movements that are in a top fuel car but you can kind of feel the car moving around bumping up and down a little bit but uh you know at the end of the day it's just one of those deals where i think you try not to think about it too much and just kind of let your body naturally do what it's going to do and i think that'll that'll put you in the best position and that's kind of what i was doing just kind of trying to focus on doing my job and uh, keeping the car straight as possible you can certainly feel it but you also knew in the back of your mind with the conditions and everything that uh that it was going to be tricky so i did my very best to prepare for it but just kind of try and naturally react to it more so than anything else yeah it makes sense and uh we mentioned the fact too that you know the incredible heat of the racetrack is one thing but there really was the groove out there was incredibly narrow and we saw uh several races on on sunday lost by uh drivers that got even half a tire out and and you know whatever was there for traction in the middle there was no, there was less of it <laughs> much less of it outside so uh, you know when when you have somebody that goes and looks at the racetrack or kind of breaks it down for you uh, that's a conversation that's being had right it's like dude you got you got very little to work with out there oh yeah absolutely you gotta know going into it like dude you better keep this thing straight or it's just it's not gonna happen yeah no pressure no pressure or anything but make sure the car doesn't move an inch to the left or an inch to the right so you know it's a uh, it's a tight groove uh but you also know that you know, all the drivers and all the teams are fighting under the same circumstances, under yeah. the same conditions. So you don't really want to overthink it too much. You just want to go out there and do your job. And no matter what racetrack you're at, 
you want to keep the car in the center of the groove. You don't want to move it to the left or the right anyway. So, uh, you know, just a matter of going out there and doing the best job that we could. And I think for three rounds on Sunday and really during qualifying, you know, I really think we did a really good job of that, you know, considering that uh, the margin for error was just so small. Yeah, and, and when we watched your starting line performance over the course of the day, uh, very clear that you were able to, to kind of put Sonoma behind you. And, and what's funny is, uh, you know, you had 83 light in Sonoma, which, you know, most people would, would – would saw off a limb or a, a digit to go oh, 83 yeah, i'll take that and that's uncharacteristic for you and and you know we got done on sunday and i was having dinner with tony and we're talking about stuff and i said maybe we're being i don't think we're being unfair necessarily but we definitely have and you've created the standard that we go man 83 is just not not where this guy wants to be and certainly not where you want to be so one how long did that kind of stick to your ribs and two when did you move past it and, and kind of settle back in because clearly and pomona that that wasn't on your mind at all yeah, I mean, I, you know, certainly when I saw that 83, I was not happy about it. Um, you know, there's no doubt about it. I, you know, I got out of the car, I saw the 83, and I said, all right, something's got to change because, you know, I have to give my, I have to give my team a chance to win. And, you know, for me, you know, I know obviously the expectations are a little bit different, but uh, an 83 is only going to do so much. So uh, it definitely stuck with me for probably about two or three days. Yeah. Uh, two or three days longer than it probably should have. <laughs> uh, but, but going into Pomona. Uh, you know, I tried to really just erase it from my mind because I knew that if it stayed in there, it was just going to create a problem. And I just started fresh. Uh, I kind of went back to the basics and said, you know what? I got to go in the car and just see the light and go. I'm going to simplify things again. I'm going to go back to the beginning and do what I was doing in the beginning. And that's what I did. And I really think it paid off. Uh, you can kind of see my lights getting better throughout qualifying. Yeah. And by the time we went to eliminations, it went back to normal. And obviously, when you start to go rounds too, uh, and the car's running good, all those things help. It kind of helps give you peace of mind behind the wheel but uh you know i think that the most important thing from sonoma uh from that 83 light was really to put things in perspective and say hey you know what it's the 83 light it's not the end of the world right but what would be the worst thing i could do is to not learn from it so i learned from it applied where i thought was necessary and i think you really saw it pay off in pomona yeah no like you said you're back uh, back to where we've seen you be and just the consistency uh, kind of round after round and it all all works hand in hand so we, we talked about it incessantly over the course of the, the race day show and really over the weekend about just how brutal it was out there weather-wise. And I want to now kind of work through the timeline of this Sunday that ultimately uh, ultimately saw you getting some uh, some very necessary assistance from not only your team but also the, the medical folks uh, at Pomona. So I guess you show up to the racetrack Sunday morning feeling peachy keen, the car's going rounds. I mean, when does, when does the fatigue or when does the kind of bad feeling start to settle in you physically over over the course of this day i'll tell you what i had the best sunday i've had in such a long time until about after the semifinals uh you know i showed up to the track felt great uh really felt great all day rounds one through three uh obviously the car was running well and i felt like i was kind of getting into a groove behind yeah. the wheel and then uh you know i was out there mixing fuel between the semifinals and the finals and all of a sudden i just I just didn't feel right. I started to feel a little bit weak, a little lightheaded, a little dizzy. And I had been drinking plenty of fluids throughout the day, Gatorade, water. And I said, you know what, let me take a minute. I, I had totally was just focused on driving and mixing fuel and focused on what was going on. I really hadn't eaten anything all day. And I said, let me take a minute. Let me go inside the lounge, get some AC, sit down and have something to eat. Yeah. And by that point, it was just too far gone. When I started to feel weak and dizzy and lightheaded, it just slowly kept creeping up on me and creeping up on me until it just kept getting worse and worse. And uh, 
obviously I wanted to drive, right? I wanted to get through that final round, and I figured, let me get through this final round. I can worry about the rest later. Yep. I We had went into the staging lanes. I had got into the car. Uh, I went over to the side and threw up twice. Wow. Got back into my gear and then got back into the car. And then as we turned the corner, uh, just having a conversation with Mike and with Dustin Davis and with my father, uh, you know, to be honest, I was just really weak, dizzy, and fatigued. And I really couldn't think cognitively the right way. And, you know, I wasn't physically at full strength. And, you know, like Mike told me, you know, as comfortable as you get in these cars, these cars still go 300 miles per hour. Yeah. If you're not at 100%, we are in no position to be able to risk your life or to risk the safety of others, including Leah. Yep. So if I went down the racetrack, I don't know what would have happened, but I know what, what happened now. And, uh, you know, it was just a decision that we collectively made it a group and said, you know what, you're not right. We need to get you out of the car and get you medical attention right away. And uh, we kind of made that decision as a group. And, and after speaking with Dr. Surface on the NHRA medical staff, it was certainly the right decision. Uh, it could have been extremely, extremely dangerous based on my condition. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely could have been. Yeah, that, um, yeah. and it was a it was a scene that unfolded really for all of us uh, at the same time in terms of what we were looking at because we saw you come through the gate, you know, to to kind of come around the corner to the ready line, and I we looked over and there was people cinching your belts down. So me and Tony were like, oh, maybe they had a problem with the warm up and they were late. And then Bruno kind of did that report with your dad and said that you know that that you had been feeling under the weather or whatnot. And then we had a tight shot of you in the car and. It was like you were sitting there, and I could tell. I mean, your your breathing was very heavy, and it was like, man, this doesn't look so great. And then, obviously, you made the right decision in getting out of that thing. Uh, it was very intense, and uh, you know, not something I've ever witnessed happen kind of in real time before. And I'm not sure really anybody else has. We, we I tweeted at you that said, hey man, back in 1971 Summer Nationals, the Top Fuel Championship was actually decided the same way with one of the drivers unable to appear because of a, a heat exhaustion situation, but it's literally once every 50 years, man. Unfortunately, you're it. <laughs> right. Exactly. Once every 50 years is right. It's crazy. Um, you know, I hope that you know, it's really unfortunate what happened. Um, you know, more important than anything else, you know, it's a lesson learned for me. Yeah. I just you know, I had good intentions. Obviously, I was focused on doing my job, and now I have sure. a better nutrition plan moving forward. And just the overwhelming support from everyone within the drag racing community is just—it's uh, a testament to the to the to the kind of people that are that are within our community. What I think is really interesting about this is that obviously you're a young, fit guy, and you're someone that's played sports at a high level. You've you've obviously been able to push yourself in a lot of different ways physically. Our sport does not necessarily translate itself it doesn't illustrate itself as being a, a very physical thing and to see somebody uh in your age and your condition kind of have this issue crop up it does reinforce the fact that a race day will literally take it out of you it will whether it's the crew or the driver um in heat like that especially with the quick turnarounds uh it's difficult it'll it'll hit you hard if you're the driver it'll hit you hard if you're the team no matter who you are that's why you got to be out there taking care of yourself you know i had a lot of people reach out to me i don't you know, I'm 26 years old. I don't drink alcohol. I don't yeah. go out at night. I'm there to race, period. And that's it. And, you know, it happened to me. It can happen to anyone. So we just got to make sure we're out there, uh, you know, doing the best that we can to take care of ourselves and take care of our bodies. So after you get out of the car, obviously they get you in some AC. I'm sure that fluids were rolling. I mean, when did you start to kind of, I don't want to say feel better because that's definitely a multiple day program, but when did you start to feel at least kind of, uh, I don't know, with it <laughs> on Sunday yeah. afternoon? I mean, the crazy thing is it got better before it got worse because 
I definitely had some adrenaline going because as soon as they got back to the trailer, I said, okay, you know what? I can take a deep breath. I can relax. And then all of a sudden, that's when it hit me the hardest. Wow. So, yeah, they hooked me up to an IV. Uh, you know, I really don't want to get into too much detail. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. yeah. It, 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 was, it was pretty rough there uh, for a while. Uh, it was a really, really difficult night for me. And then I woke up Monday morning feeling much better, like I turned the corner. And then day by day, uh, just slowly getting back to myself and getting back to full strength at this point. But, you know, it was clear to me that the right decision was made. I just had some adrenaline going that was really keeping me moving forward at that point. But once that kind of wore off, uh, it was all hands on deck for the doctors. But thankfully, uh, obviously doing much better and pretty much pretty much all back to full strength now. Yeah, it's uh it's something. And I know you had I know you had folks from a bunch of you you know, a bunch of the companies that sponsor your race car out there at the race too and not, and bottom line is your well being is very important to them as well. Um, you know, we look at companies like Smart Sanitizer, you know, Cotto Fastening, Strut Masters uh, you've developed great relationships with these people, and I guess I'm wondering, um, obviously they wanted to see the car win the race. Everybody wants to see the car win the race. But I'm sure that they were like, yeah, this is the right call. <laughs> I'm sure they were, among oh, yeah. everybody, I'm sure they were on your side as well. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, I think that speaks to the kind of sponsors that we have, right? They're more than sponsors. They're people and they're family and they're part of our team. But it killed me not being able to be out there racing for them. You go all the way to the finals. We had so many people in attendance. And for my team and for the sponsors, you want to finish the job. Right. That's what you're there to do. But um, just really amazing that they all, you know, they weren't even worried about that. Forget about the race. They were worried about me and making sure that my health was taking precedence. And they all understand that the right decision was made. So, you know, I just really appreciative for that and for their understanding. Yeah. And I think if we, uh, you know, we go back to the race car side of this thing, you know, when we go to Topeka in a few weeks here, it is not going to be uh, 55 degrees, you know. And, and so, <laughs> you know, what. What I take from this, from your team, for your team anyway, is one, you know, they've gone through the experience of having to, to service that thing three times pretty hardcore over the course of a hot race day, which likely Topeka will be. Mike clearly has a good hot weather tune-up and a hot racetrack tune-up. And three, you find yourself comfortable back in the driver's seat. So it's like, despite the, the awkward ending, all the other stuff adds up to what should be a nice car to take with you through August and into September when we go to Indy, which also tends to be very hot. Oh, you're absolutely right. There's so many positives to take from this weekend. It was a uh, a funkier and awkward ending, that much is for sure. Uh, kind of left things hanging out a little bit. But really, when you look at the weekend as a whole, uh, you know, I think our time, energy, and effort was, was well spent. And it was definitely positive. We were able to make the turns easily and get up there with plenty of time to go, which is just uh, speaks volumes of our Davis Motorsports team. And, uh, you know, the car ran great. The car ran great. Uh, in hot weather, which, like you said, Topeka is going to be hot. Indy's going to be hot. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be hot in Brainerd, too. So I think that really in this sport, the way the countdown is set up, it's all about getting hot at the right time. And I think this weekend was particularly a good weekend to do that and start to turn the corner. And we learned a lot from this weekend about ourselves. Uh, we also learned a lot about the racetrack and the car itself. So uh, a lot of positives come from that and a lot of things that we can apply to these races coming up here. Absolutely. One last topic I want to broach with you before I let you go is the fact that whether we're talking about Major League Baseball or we're talking about the NFL, when we talk about teams that can win championships, they need to kind of mature into a unit at the right time. And, and Steve Torrance's team matured into a unit like five years ago and has not ever gotten worse, <laughs> so that's a thing. But when we talk about your team, what is going to make you a factor – you're going to be in the countdown. We know you're going to be there. What is going to make you a factor in that countdown? And what does it actually take to challenge the Capco team for a world championship? Well, I think what it's going to take is, like you said, a certain level of maturity. I think that 
our team is still a young team. And in order to be successful in the countdown, what it takes is all the races before the countdown to make sure that you're ready to go uh, when it's time to go. Now, when it's countdown time, we're not going to change anything. We're not going to try harder or change our approach specifically because it's time to run for a championship. We're going to keep doing exactly what we're doing because we go into every race with the mindset that we're there to be successful, with the mindset that we're there to win the race. And it just takes a certain level of maturity, obviously myself included, to be able to thrive under pressure and thrive in those situations. And you saw it this weekend, our team was able to do that and do it at a very high level. So I have no doubt that we're going to be out there uh, doing a really nice job. Obviously the Capco team is fantastic. We all know that. Uh, We all know that everybody's kind of shooting for where they're at right now and deservingly so. But we just got to focus on ourselves and, and the competition, whether it's the Capital team, whether it's Kalita, whether it's Antron Brown or anybody in that top 10 is going to be extremely difficult. But, uh, you know, if you want to try and win a championship, you got to beat the best of them. So it's definitely a challenge that we're up for and something that we're looking forward to. That's a fact, man. going to be fascinating to watch. It was uh, it's always interesting to me when we kind of go through the season and we see the ebb and flow or the, the rise and fall of some teams. And, and we're looking at some teams that are stuck in neutral to some degree, but yours is not one of them. Um, the performance over the course of the uh, the race in Pomona was great. And we'll see if it translates to Topeka. The more the merrier when it comes to the championship chase. I want Steve sweating bullets and, and looking at it, okay. looking at 10 cars that can catch him, even though that's probably not realistic, but you certainly seem to be in the uh, moving in the direction of being one of those that he should be at least worried about a little bit. So, Justin, thank you so much for taking the time today, and I'm glad to hear that uh, you're feeling better, and, and uh, that's something that uh, I don't really ever want to see again. I know you don't want to experience again. <laughs> no, that much is for sure, and I, and I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm happy, uh, happy I'm feeling better and looking forward to the Pika. Thank you for having me on. Pretty wild story there with Justin Ashley. Just the fact that uh, he's able to really kind of recall it all in such detail is amazing. It was certainly uh, a harrowing thing to watch. Very glad that he made the decision he did ultimately not to run the car down the racetrack in that final round as tough as it might have been. Now we transition to a guy who did make the run in the final round of the Nitro Funny Car category, driver of the DHL Toyota Camry, J.R. Todd, the runner-up from Pomona, and a guy who uh, I think is going to be happy with the result of that weekend, if not maybe the final round. J.R., how you doing, man? All right, so our second guest in this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast is the runner-up of the Nitro Funny Car category from Pomona. A solid weekend for this guy, J.R. Todd. How you doing, man? Good, man. I uh, I wish we didn't have a week off after uh, coming off a runner-up in Pomona, but uh, I definitely need it with what I got going on back at home. But yeah, it was it was a good way to uh, finish the swing. We didn't start off strong by any means, but uh, it was it was tricky there in Pomona and. I feel like when it gets hot and nasty and tricky like that, that's kind of when uh, Todd and John arise to the occasion. Yeah, you know, and to me, outside of everything else, it seems like a day like Sunday, beyond making the final round and stuff, it, it's a good day for the team because everybody's kind of having to suffer through this. You know, it, it, I would assume it's kind of a team-building thing in a way because everybody's in this crappy weather, everybody's got their tongue hanging out, and yet here comes the car getting prepared the right way and going rounds. Yeah, absolutely. You know, with uh, the the two night runs on the the, the two qualifying days, that you're out at the track pretty late, and uh, you got to turn around and be out there first thing in the morning on Sunday. So, every like you said, everybody's got to uh, you know dread through it, and the, the guys are kind of a uh, I don't want to say moping around or just uh, over it at that point. You know, it's the third <laughs> race and a a long western swing, and to to be able to uh, go to the final round, but. Uh, they, they, you know, at the end of the day, you want to win when you go that far. But I think they, uh, they're happy with uh, the, the way we finished for sure. You know, coming out of qualifying, you guys were seventh. You'd run four hundred four at at three twenty two, uh, and I think all of us 
even guys like me that don't know anything knew that Sunday was really not going to have any anything to do with what the qualifying runs were. So when you landed seventh coming into Sunday, where, what was your head at? Were you kind of like, hey, whatever, you know, is this, it, it doesn't matter that much. I mean, obviously you want to be the best spot you can be, but knowing that Sunday was going to be so different, uh, what was your feeling? Yeah, I mean, uh, talking to Todd before that, you know, he said his goal was to come in there and qualify in the top half, and that's what we did because you know that qualifying doesn't really mean anything going into a race day and conditions like that. I got a, a good laugh sitting in the car listening to uh, Reinhardt. You know, Caps made <laughs> two good runs there uh, on both night runs, and, you know, he says, you know, Caps has got a really good car going in the race. And I'm like, yeah, well, that really doesn't mean anything because none of us went down the track on on Q2, yeah. which is our only somewhat day run, but but yeah, it turns out Caps did have a good car on race day. I mean, he uh, he made some strong runs there on Sunday, and we definitely had uh, some luck on our side, but uh, that's what it takes to uh, turn on wind lights and uh, win out there on Sundays. You know, when we look at what, uh, what you guys in the DHL car did, it really, on race day, it was like two race cars, and I'm not saying one was better than the other, but it seemed like two cars that were equally or correctly matched to what the conditions were going to be. First round, second round, the car goes 414, then goes right back out and goes 419. So it doesn't seem like there was a lot of tweaking going on in terms of wholesale changes between that round one and two setup. No, not at all. We were just having uh, problems, you know, dropping cylinders down track. Uh, after first round, it, uh, it threw a rod out when I stepped off the throttle, and that was, uh, you know, the result of having a cylinder out pretty early in the yeah. rut. And, and just said uh, those things don't like running on seven cylinders, and it's hard to keep a load on the engine when the track is that hot and you don't have a lot of lot of clutch on the uh, on the car, and it's, that's that's the result of what happened. So, yeah, it was kind of rinse and repeat and just uh, – a matter of managing those bumps and the, the, the hot track out there and just trying to get it from point A to point B on, on eight cylinders, which was uh, hard to do. And I don't know if anybody was able to do that all day long. No, I don't think they were. And, and we saw it with varying different results. I mean, we saw some just, we saw some real fireball engine explosions. And then we saw a bunch of cars that like you're talking about, that just would put them out late and then fall off performance wise or get past, uh, you know, there was obviously from your perspective, was there less pedaling than you thought there was going to be late in the day? Because I thought we were going to see, I thought we were going to see some of the old school, like on and off the throttle, eight or ten times type of runs. Not that it was easy going by any means, but there was less pedaling than I expected later on in the day. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I knew going into Sunday, basically when it was Friday, that you know we're going to be seeing track temps around 140 plus degrees. Yeah. I thought for sure there was going to be people smoking the tires in both lanes and having to work the throttle. And I, I never pedaled it once on Sunday, so that. That kind of shocked me, but I think that was just because, like I said, you know, yeah, everybody's cylinders. dropping cylinders, yeah. and that's that's you know robbing you horsepower, and, and at the end probably saving you from uh, <laughs> from smoking the tires. But, but yeah, it definitely cost us there in the final dropping a cylinder that early to where Caps, you know, he dropped one later in the run. Just uh, they uh, they they had a really good car, but I feel like you know we we've been struggling in qualifying, and that helped us there. Uh, Pomona getting qualified in the top half. I don't know if lane choice mattered, but. Uh, there on Sunday, it seemed like, uh, you know, the quicker cars and the, the winning cars were kind of sticking to uh, the right lane. The left lane was a little uh, tricky tricky to maneuver with those bumps and what have you. So that was kind of our Achilles heel on the western swing was uh, was qualifying. And it was good to, uh, to get in the top half on, on Friday to be able to go into uh, lane or have lane choice going into Sunday for sure. You know, I think one of the craziest things about this year is in, you know, not saying anything people don't know already, but the two bumpiest tracks that we have, Pomona and Bristol, are being run 
at the two opposite types of conditions, <laughs> right? So it's like it, the the bumps in Pomona were obviously a big problem because the thing's so hot and there's barely any grip. There's barely any grip in the first place. And by the time we get to Bristol, the car is going to be making way more power than it typically makes there, and you're going to be dealing with the same problem, but almost in reverse. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty wild to think about, you know, especially Bristol in, uh, in October, because usually we're dealing with uh, the Bristol conditions, you know, uh, kind of this time of year, yeah. the way the, the track was in, in Pomona. So you know what you got to do there to where now it's going to be like a, a whoop section in Bristol with a lot of grip, I think. So <laughs> it'll it'll be interesting for sure. But, but yeah, Pomona is just, uh, you know, it's starting to age and showing its uh showing its ugly head a little bit especially in the middle of summer i mean we yeah. never race there in, in, in those conditions to where when we're in february and november the conditions are awesome and that's why we uh we haul ass there when we're uh, when we're in pomona but at the end of the day i still love going to pomona but we'll probably have to fix those bumps before uh before it's over with yeah i think there has uh, i think there's been some discussion uh on some some surface improvements there which uh i think everybody would be <laughs> glad to see um diving back into the race semifinals you get jim campbell sitting next to you and and obviously that's not a car that typically goes that deep it's that they've you know they run their program the way they do and a lot of times they just don't quite bring enough to the table in the early rounds but this was definitely a race that kind of played into their favor we're only a couple weeks off of what Joey Haas did in, in Denver. And, you know, I realize everybody says, I'm racing the racetrack and blah, blah, blah. But still, every once in a while, you got to look over and go, is this really the day for this guy? Like, am I going to be part of this? Am I going to be part of this guy's story today? You weren't. But, yeah. <laughs> that definitely crossed my mind. I mean, conditions like that and days like that, those definitely are uh, in Jim Dunn's wheelhouse. They just need to go down the track and – and, uh, you know, kind of hope that the guys next to him screw up, and a lot of people were. So uh, it was definitely for us like, hey, we just need to go down the track yeah. and run, you know, like 420, and we should be in good shape. And we were <laughs> barely capable of uh, doing <laughs> that, you know. And uh, it starts spinning and put a hole out pretty early, and it sounded awful. And that's when you start getting real low in the seat. You're like, oh, man, just, <laughs> just hang on. And I never saw Campbell go driving by, so that was a uh, – that was a sigh of relief once the one light come on. Then uh, you know you're pumped going to the final round, also. But but yeah, you think it's going to be uh, something like that today? That's when the underdogs shine when it gets real hot and nasty like that. It, it evens up the field for everybody. Yeah, man. I want to talk about this visor cam because um, it's it's freaking awesome. I mean, we've had it now on your helmet for a couple of races, and it was a, a fairly extended process to get it approved by the tech department, which they you know finally got that done. But uh, this is a view, man. We don't get this view, and I think what's so interesting about it is like the clarity of the picture one the fact that it's in your your field of vision and we're seeing this stuff happen real time like we've never actually been able to show a funny car driver trying to trying to manhandle one of these things real time what's what's your opinion ben of it i think it's awesome i mean once i saw the the nascar guys and the indycar guys using the, the helmet cam yeah i started pushing for this a while back because i thought this would be the, the best perspective for uh, the TV viewers to see, you know, what we're going through inside the car, you know, we're other in-car cameras that are mounted to uh, the chassis and what have you. They just, they can't handle the vibration of, you know, 11,000 plus horsepower. And then, you know, some teams uh, have the camera glasses and I've tried those and we can't, you know, use those for, for live TV. So I think this is the, the best thing going right now. And I'm glad that uh, we finally got it approved and the fans are able to see it and, you know, you get a few keyboard warriors out there that say that the glasses are better and, and this and that. But I'll tell you, I've used both, and I think that this visor cam is uh, it's a way of the future for sure. Yeah, I think it. I think it's fantastic, and and it's uh, it does two things really. I mean, for you as a driver, I think it's interesting because 
not that you need any extra pressure on you, but you're like, all right, well, I guess everybody's going to be watching what I'm doing, <laughs> what I'm doing in here now, um, and we're all enjoying it. But how much have you gone back and just looked at footage? I mean, because you know what's happening in the seat, but is there any? I guess is there any analytical benefit to going back and watching it? Oh, uh, absolutely. I mean, there's different things that uh, you know, we've talked about what I'm seeing inside the car and what's going on that uh, we try to apply to you know, the tune-up or what have you, or even you know new body stuff that we're working on with Toyota. So it's uh, it's all around a, a great tool. And I, I just love going back and visualizing runs and, and seeing what I can do better. But yeah, now that it's uh, it's live, it's like, all right, don't screw this up. And then, you know, Denver goes, <laughs> goes out there and, and drops three holes after it starts spinning the tires. And I plow the cones there. I was like, oh man, now I really wish I didn't have that uh, visor cam on. But no, it's it's good when, when bad things happen like that as well. It just shows uh, the fans at home how quickly things can go wrong inside a Nitro Funny car. No, it's insane, and that's the one. That's really the first thing I think I took away from it initially was like, man, it's like this is just happening. Obviously, the thing's going a couple hundred miles an hour, but when, like you said, when the thing breaks traction or it tries to get loose, and it just the speed of how things happen in there, and the fact that if you're not on top of it, you're not just you're not just catching a little block or two in the center of the track. You're probably piling the thing up across the racetrack. It uh, it's a it's a really cool thing, and I think the fans have really responded well to it. Yeah, I think so for sure. It's uh, like I said, it's great for sponsors. You know, we've had a uh, Toyota stepping up and allowing us to uh, use it. Then uh, last week, uh, Rev Kim Composites, uh, we put their name on the car. They uh, they stepped up and allowed us to uh, to use it there in Pomona. So there's going to be a few different companies sponsoring the camera throughout the year, and you know, hopefully, uh, you know, we can get a, a couple more drivers in, in different classes using. I think it'd be uh, great for NHRA and uh, the sport of drag racing for sure. Just uh, Kind of, you know, TV doesn't do our sport a whole lot of justice, yeah. but we got to do what we can to make it uh, make it great for those fans that are uh, back home and not the track. Oh, totally. I want to get one on, like, a super gas guy's head so people understand that, like, from the eighth mile on, the dude's just staring at the car in the other lane and not even looking <laughs> straight ahead. That's what I was <laughs> Yeah, exactly. He's just driving by field at that point. He's not even looking where he's yeah. going. So we got Topeka coming up. You get a break uh, of a week here, and um, – when we look at Topeka, I mean, typically this is a place that uh, we've raced earlier in the year. So in August, we're probably going to be looking at fairly similar conditions to Pomona. I guess the biggest difference between Pomona and Topeka, if we take everything else away, is the smoothness of the surface, right? Yeah, Topeka is usually uh, pretty smooth. And yeah, like you said, it's going to be hot and nasty. That's one thing we uh, we talked about after Pomona. It's like, well, we're probably going to see similar conditions once we get to uh Topeka so I I'm once again I'm looking forward to getting there honestly I look forward to, to every race but uh but yeah after you know success we've had in the Pomona with a uh, hot slip track I think it's gonna be the the same way in Topeka so it'll be another uh where it's gonna even up the playing field for all the cars you know the higher horsepower cars are not gonna be able to, to throw down I don't think on a, a track like that but you'll definitely be able to uh to run a little better than I think we did in Pomona just because of the track surface we really haven't seen anybody establish themselves uh, as a front runner in, in Funny Car yet, which is great because uh, maybe maybe not so great for the person who wants to be the front runner like you. But the the idea that the fact that there's like seven or eight cars that are grouped within a couple of rounds of each other makes us really exciting. And I guess in your opinion, do you see anybody that may break away from the pack? And if you do, who could that be? Hopefully you, I guess. And if you don't, do you think this is the way the whole rest of the countdown is going to go in terms of just, just a slugfest all the way to the end? Man, it's funny you brought that up. Flying home on uh, on Monday, I was thinking the same thing. You know, we go to the final round. We don't move up in position, but we gain a lot of points on the cars in front of us. Just tighten everything up to where I think we're 
a little over uh, two and a half rounds out of uh, out of first yep. place, and yeah. we're sixth. So yeah, it doesn't seem like anybody wants to uh, break away. To where earlier in the year, I thought, man, Tasca, he just keeps going to the later rounds and leading the points. He's going to be hard to catch. To where now it's just uh, when the when the front runners struggle, the the guys behind him are, are capitalizing, and uh, that's what we got to do. Usually, it's it's guys like Robert or uh, or Hagen or you know now even Caps. I mean, he made a big jump and went to the lead. So yeah. I think it's going to be tight all the way through uh, through Indy once the countdown resets, and then that's when you really got to turn the wick up. Yeah, that's a fact. We talked a little bit about that with Justin Ashley coming in uh, in the, the first conversation on this show, and obviously the top fuel scenario is just every single team is vying to, to knock off Steve Torrance. That's that's pretty much the only story there, but it does make it really fascinating, and, and the idea that this thing should carry itself for the next several weeks this tight means we're going to find out who's kind of good and bad with pressure as well, which I think is always the fun part when we get to a, a championship chase. Like the one you managed to, to win a couple of years ago, I mean, we're talking, what, second round Pomona was when that thing was finally decided. So you've you've been there. You've lived that life. Yeah, for sure. I, I definitely think, you know, so far the way the season's going, that it's probably going to come down to uh, Pomona again for the championship. But I don't think you're going to have the same guy going out there winning yeah. – four or five races in the countdown i expect it to be a you know a six seven car slugfest all the way to the end and uh hopefully we're right in the mix of it and uh they're on top at the end of it no it's great man it's uh it was a fun weekend and and obviously you wanted one more win light but again for a for a situation where you can look at everybody as you're leaving on sunday night and say hey we did our best we put together a good effort here and and we can continue this forward i think it's uh was a great moment for your team yeah, I appreciate it, Brian. But yeah, like I said, we were uh, kind of down the dumps there after uh, you know Denver and Sonoma, and just kind of ready to be over the swing. And then the the lead there, uh, you know, like I said, two and a half rounds out of the lead after going to the final, that kind of got a. Uh, Everybody perked back up and uh, ready to get back in the fight for sure. I mean, listen, your championship year right started going your way in Sonoma. That's when uh, that's when things kind of bent in your direction. So maybe this uh, you just you just kicked it one race down the road for this year. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that's the case for sure, man. Jr. Thanks a lot, man. Enjoy your week off. I know you got uh, some hustle going on at home, and I will see you in Topeka, Kansas. All right, sounds good, Brian. Looking forward to it. And so that will bring this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast to a close. Great chats with both Justin Ashley and J.R. Todd. And pretty interesting to hear how positive both guys are leaving the racetrack from Pomona, which they should be. I mean, anytime you're able to work your way to a final round, especially one as hard fought as it took to get to this one on Sunday, certainly, certainly worthy of uh, of some smiles and some backslapping amongst the members of the various teams involved. I do want to make one mention that early in the show. I talked about Matt Hagen taking the Nitro Funny Car points lead. Obviously, Ron Caps is the guy who has snagged that lead away from Bob Tasker the third. And yes, as JR mentioned, the top six cars in Nitro Funny Car are separated by an incredibly slender 57 points. You can go back to the seventh position with Alexa. She's only 100 points out of number one and could very easily move to the top five with a good race and some bad luck for the competitors ahead of her on the sheet. So, uh, funny car, certainly compelling and will be compelling for weeks and weeks on end. This coming weekend, I'll be at the Nightfire Nationals at Firebird Raceway in Boise, Idaho. If you're not familiar with that racetrack, it is run and operated by the new family. It is certainly one that is respected around the country, a place I've never visited and have had on my list to go for years. So very excited to be part of the 50th running of the Nightfire Nationals. If you live in that part of the world, you want to go see some great drag racing this weekend. We're talking nostalgia nitro funny cars, nostalgia top fuel cars, fuel alters, jets, wheel standers, a massive bracket race paying 
gained 30 plus thousand dollars over the course of the weekend it really is going to be a load of fun at one of the neatest tracks in the nation there you go there's my plug for the night fire nationals we'll be back next week with another nhra insider podcast i'll be talking night fires we'll be talking about topeka brainerd indy and what will be coming as far as the countdown to the championship goes it's the middle of the august it's the dog days of summer and it's going to be a whole lot of fun in the nhra camp and world drag racing series tour i'm brian loans thanks for listening